0: Solitaire Rose Novelcast, Do the Job, Episode 10. That's right, the final part of the mystery novel set in the world of 1980s professional wrestling is here. There are probably some of you who thought we would never get to the end, but here it is, the last part. We'll talk a little about what's coming up in our next novel cast, but first, what you need to know. Lance Green is a former professional wrestler turned private investigator. He's been hired to investigate the overdose of one of his former friends, and he has uncovered a conspiracy that has led to him being on the run, wanted in the questioning of a murder, and that his uh, agency was involved in drug money laundering. If you need more detail, go back, listen to the other nine episodes. As for now, Part 10 of Do the Job. Chapter 8 the drive to the cabin took much longer than i thought it would because every other time i had done so i hadn't paid much attention to the speed limit this time since i was one for questioning i observed every traffic law and did not do what i normally did which was to drive at the speed of the traffic around me by the time i got to the exit for the cabin it was mid-afternoon and i was tired and hungry i'd been up for over 24 hours since i don't count being knocked out as a solid rest couldn't remember when i'd last eaten and was still in pain from the abuse of the last two days. I stopped at a gas station and grabbed a pair of sandwiches, a bag of chips, a soda, and a couple of individual packets of aspirin. Driving the last few miles, I ate everything as quickly as I could, not caring about how terrible the food was for me. There was next to no taste from the sandwiches. The chips were salt and crunch, and the aspirin brought little relief. I didn't expect much for any of it, and it came in below my expectations. When I got to the entry to the private land the cabin was on, I drove past the turnoff. I went a couple of miles further down the road, knowing that there would be very little traffic this time of year, and pulled off onto a dirt road that led to a local park. I made it to the parking lot and saw it was empty. This time of year, the parks were only used on weekends, so I pulled to the far side of the parking lot, cracked the window, leaned the driver's seat back in order to get some sleep. I woke up in the dark. I checked my watch and saw it was a little after 8 p.m., so I'd gotten a good six hours of uninterrupted sleep. My body was not happy with the sleeping position I'd been in, and the injuries I'd taken the day before added to the stiffness and pain I was in. Before I got moving again, I got out of the car and stretched. My neck was stiff, not as bad as it had been after my injury, but it was bad enough that, that turning my head from one side to the other hurt. I hoped I wouldn't have to fight, since I'd be going into it with a huge disadvantage. It only took a few minutes to get back to the road leading to the cabin, and a quick unlocking and relocking of the gate was all that was between me and where I was sure Hodge was waiting. I knew the cabin was a mile down the road, so I pulled into the driveway of the first cabin on the trail and parked as far back as I could, lights off the whole time. Getting out of the car again, my back spasmed, and I felt like I would have to lay down until the pain faded. I grabbed the car door and held on, riding the pain as it rose and fell. This was going to be tough, and I hoped I hadn't screwed up the vertebrae in my neck that had caused me to retire. They told me, one wrong bump and I'd be crippled. I'd taken quite a few bumps in the last two days. Once I felt like I could move, I reached into the car and grabbed the gun I'd stashed under the driver's seat. I shoved it in the pocket of the jacket I was wearing, then took off into the woods toward the cabin. The cabin wasn't in my name. Katie had bought it from her parents when they decided to retire and move to Arizona, and while it was something the two of us owned due to being married, because she'd put together the deal with her parents, hers was the only name on the deed. It was on a small lake whose name I couldn't remember, and just barely far enough away from the water that we didn't have to worry about it becoming part of the lake if it was during a rainy year. A couple of years before, the lake had swollen so much from a wet summer that the water got up to the path leading to the front door. We'd driven up in case we needed to sandbag around the little one-story, one-room building, but we didn't. Instead, we spent the week fishing, having bonfires, and enjoying the fact that we were away from everything. As I went into the woods in a moonless sky, I was concerned that we were so far away from everything. No phone, at least half an hour walk to my car, and an hour's drive to the nearest town that would have a business open after 9 p.m., secluded. As I got to the cabin, any thoughts I may have had about being wrong about where Katie and Hodge would lay low were erased. I saw Hodge's car parked next to the cabin, and smoke coming from the chimney. Low light came from the windows, and it lit up the grounds. If they weren't there, it would not be a decent place for me to hide out for a couple of days, Even with my name not being on the ownership papers, Katie would have handed them the info immediately. However, since they were here, they were doing the smart thing. They were staying out of sight until I was caught. Then they could show up and help me on my way to prison. If they were easily found by the cops while I was missing, they would have to answer a lot of questions, questions they may not want to answer. The cabin was at the bottom of the hill I was on. And i was able to see most of the area around it they had to be inside since there was no movement around the outside and the woodpile i'd been building up over the summer was down a bit from the last time i was here the only light was from the stars and the windows and while my eyes had adjusted to the darkness i still moved slowly partly to make sure i didn't step on anything or trip and partly so as not to make noise i had no idea what they were thinking But if I were out here hiding, I'd be doing everything possible to be aware if someone was coming. And if I were in their shoes, I'd be waiting for me. I couldn't afford to screw up anymore. Katie had obviously been feeding Hodge information about my investigation, which is why he'd been a step ahead of me the whole time. I didn't know why, but I had my guesses. One of the things that Dan Lammer's had instilled in me during my time working for him was a deep mistrust of big money. Most people who'd gotten it that he'd encountered hadn't kept their hands clean while amassing it, and Hodge had big money. I thought about what I could do while slowly making my way down the hill, and wondered what sort of preparation they'd made. Maybe I'd get lucky and they thought I was hunkered down in the cities, and they'd just had to wait until the radio reported I'd been captured. Then again, maybe my neck would heal and I'd get a seven-figure contract with Brad Goldman. They were just about as equal in possibilities. When I got to the bottom of the hill, I slowly moved toward one of the windows. It was a one-room cabin with beds against one wall, fireplace against the other, and a TV with a VCR against the final wall without a door in it. There were chairs, a table, and couch in the cabin as well. It was really just like an oversized studio apartment in the middle of the woods. When most people think cabin, they think a log cabin with the snow scene and smoke coming out of the chimney. In reality, many of them were refurbished mobile homes or shotgun shacks. Ours was a simple, single-room building, but it was a step up from those, and actually had insulation, a small generator, some of the creature comforts that made it a decent place for a city boy like me to stay for a week. Because it wasn't painted, and instead had siding made of stained wood, the small building almost looked like a miniature barn, and I had done work over the years to keep it looking nice. When I got next to the cabin I debated my options. I could bust in through the front door and have the element of surprise, but I would have no information on if either of them were inside. If I looked in one of the windows, I could be seen. Movement draws the eye, especially when you are on heightened alert. I decided the risk was worth it, and edging closer to the window, I heard muffled voices inside. They were talking, but I couldn't understand what they were saying. However, it was clear that both of them were in the cabin. Saved me the worry of looking in the window. I changed direction and started moving slowly to the front of the cabin. I kept low so as not to show in any of the windows and slow so as not to make any noise. They didn't have the generator running, so the woods were only filled with the sound of wildlife and the slowly lapping waves on the lake caused by the slight breeze. When I got to the small wooden deck on the front of the cabin, I stopped, knowing that a footstep would cause noise. The damn thing didn't just creak, it would groan and protest whenever anyone would step on it, and it was the last thing I needed to upgrade in my very long process of bringing the cabin up to my expectations. I decided on a plan, took a single step onto a slightly raised wooden deck, and the wood so loud it actually caused a few birds to take off in flight. I quickly backed off and went around the corner of the cabin, gun drawn and ready. I heard the front door open, but the voices from inside had gone still. When I heard a few steps I waited, hoping I could hear something that would give me an advantage. A few more steps and I heard it. The steps were going away from me. Whichever of the two had come out to check was looking at the other side of the cabin. I stepped out from my side, gun trained and ready, saw that Hodge was the one looking. He was facing away from me with a shotgun in his hands. Same one that we kept here for defense and hunting. Bastard was using my gun. For some reason that irritated more than the frame-up job he'd done. Drop the gun, I said firmly. He froze and then started to turn. I have no problem shooting you, Hodge. At this point, what do I have to lose, I said. It must have struck a nerve because he dropped the gun at his feet. Kick it away, I'm not stupid, I said. I watched as he used one of his feet to kick the gun out of reach. I watched him as he turned, but wondered what was going on in the cabin with Katie. I knew there was at least one other gun we kept in the place. A small handgun, she insisted, we hide under the floorboard in a small safe. But had she gotten it out? Worse. Had she brought one of her own? How deep was she in this with Hodge? Interlace your fingers behind your head and turn around, I said calmly, watching both him and the cabin door, which opened toward me, and had created a blind spot in the doorway. He did so, and as he turned around I saw his face. He looked peaceful in a way that disturbed me. I could see him being scared. I could see him being angry. I could even understand if he were puzzled, but the look of calm across his features worried me. I tried to understand why. There was no back door to the cabin. The windows could be used to get out, but not without a lot of struggle. Katie, come out of the cabin slowly and unarmed,'' I said. ''Or,'' Hodge said, ''still calm?'' or you will keep that expression on your face for a long, long time, I said. Hodge said nothing, and there were no sounds from inside the cabin. The smart thing would be to wait for them to make their move. It seemed like they had a plan of some kind, and my plan was going well on my end. I never said I was good at long-term thinking, though. I was tired, angry, and too fed up to be smart. I moved away from the cabin, keeping my gun on Hodge as I moved out in an arc until I could see around the door and into the cabin. There was no sign of Katie, and all I had done was determine that she wasn't waiting behind the door. I looked around quickly, and then moved behind Hodge, keeping the gun on him the entire time. It helped that I wasn't seeing his face now, and I came up behind him and placed the barrel of the gun next to his head. We're heading into the cabin. Anything that comes flying at me? "'Hit you first,' I said, trying to sound tough. I was glad I couldn't see his face when he said, "'You really thought this through, didn't you?' We moved slowly together through the door and then inside. Katie was nowhere to be seen, but one of the windows in the cabin was open. I made sure to shut the door behind me so that if she did want to come in, I'd get a second or two of notice. She'd left, but now I needed to know where she'd gone. Was she outside, ready to start shooting? Had she gone to get the cops?' I moved Hodge to a chair and had him sit down. I grabbed a chair and moved it across from him and sat down as well, holding the gun on him the entire time. His facial expression had changed from one of peace to a neutral one. "'Now what?' he asked. "'It's all going to be up to you,' I said. "'I've pieced together what happened to Mikey. I've even pieced together why you did it. The only thing missing is why me?' Hodge sat there silently. I went through everything, spinning the puzzle pieces in my head until they started to fit into place. Finally, I said, money laundering. Hodge grimaced. You didn't want me to take the case. That's why Katie kept trying to pull me off it. She sent me to Memphis to be a hero, had me meet with corporations, hoping to pull me off the case long enough for you or your people to clean things up. But you were sloppy. You left a cufflink in Mikey's car. You shot the heroin into Mikey because you didn't know he snorted it. You clean up his place after he's dead. You didn't think I was all that good at my job. That's fine. Most of what I do isn't rocket science. But when I wouldn't give up, you had to start cleaning things up. When that didn't work, you decided to reel me in and get rid of me, I said, watching to see if anything changed. It didn't. The silence between us filled the cabin more than any boombox-blasting music could have. It all fit now. The only thing Hodge couldn't control was Billy coming to me and asking me for help. If Katie would have told me I couldn't take the case, I would have gotten bullheaded and figured out things sooner. She did what she could to knock me off the trail, but like an old stubborn farm mule, I kept at it. It also meant Katie had been in Hodge's pocket for a while, maybe since we needed him to bail us out. The money laundering story was true. She just kept that part of the business away from me since they knew what I was up to, they'd been able to cook the books to make me the heel and her the baby face. They'd set me up to do the job. If I wouldn't give up finding the truth, I'd take the fall and Hodge would find another business to run his money through. Who knows? Maybe Katie would run that one as well. The dark side of my mind wondered if our entire marriage was just a set-up. If she'd been kayfabing me about why we were together. There was no way of knowing while sitting across from the man who was willing to hang me out to dry for drug running and money laundering without letting me get even a sniff of the money tumbling through the coffers. I wanted to shoot him dead right there. However, I didn't have any evidence of what he'd done, and they'd set me up to take the fall. No wonder he wasn't worried. I felt like he was able to read my mind, because as I saw the lack of options I had, I swear he started to smile. "'You just figured out that Katie went to get the police, didn't you?' he said. "'It was then that I knew I had a couple of cards left in my hand and some time to play them. "'I didn't hear the car leave, so if she was going to the police, she was going somewhere by foot. "'And if she wasn't going to the police, she was still around the cabin waiting for something. "'I decided to play along. "'One of the things we do as wrestlers is what's known as a promo,' We would talk about an upcoming match in such a way as to entice people to get off the couch and show up at the event. That what was going to happen was going to be so monumental, they didn't want to have to wait to hear about the results on TV or read about them in a magazine or the dirt sheets. We had to convince them to take the money out of their pocket and spend it on a seat because they have to see what's going to happen. To do that, you have to be able to draw from emotions and tell a story that would talk people into a building. I'd given incredible promos as both a face and a heel. If I didn't, they wouldn't have put the title on me. The other thing that was the best promos came from taking the truth and ramping it up. I guess that settles it, I said, my voice low and quiet. So quiet, Hodge could barely hear me. You were able to get rid of Mikey, and now you'll get rid of me. Quite a noose you've hung on me, Hodge. I'm just surprised you didn't find a way to hang Mikey's death on me as well, so that you could tie everything up in a big bow. You led me around by my nose and made me see all the dirty shit you've pulled, but done it in such a way I can't do anything about it. Hell, for all I know, they'll take me down for money laundering, and you'll hang your drug running on me as well. Then you get to keep being the pillar of the community, helping small businessmen and just taking a taste of their profits. You just wet your beak a little. But you and I know the truth. We know you swoop in and run places, so your drug money becomes legit by cooking the books, and you keep to keep your hands clean. Just being a place for people who can't go to a bank, the man who saves small businesses. I stood up, my voice getting louder with each sentence, my gun waving in the air to punctuate each and every breath I took. There's something you don't know, Hodge. You don't know that I'm not going to go to prison for you. You took my job. "'That would be all right. I can get another job. "'You took my business, with which hurts, since I spent years building that up. "'You took my wife. That's enough for most men to kill for. "'Trust me, I know. "'I've sat across the table from them as they lunge at the woman "'they once pledged to love forever, eyes filled with rage. "'You took my friend, all because he wouldn't peddle your dope at his new job. "'That's the kind of shitty thing I expect from a low-life gangster thug.' By this point I was yelling so loud they could probably hear me a mile away. The mistake you made was leaving you The mistake you made was leaving me with nothing to lose. If I'm gonna go to jail for the rest of my life, why shouldn't I go for something I did? For paying back the man who took everything from me by killing you I aimed the gun at his head and heard the front door burst open. Katie was there holding a small pistol and said, Don't you dare do it! What she didn't know is that I was able to turn quickly and aim the gun at her. "'Drop it,' I said, my voice back to its normal volume and timber. Hodge attempted to take advantage of the situation and get up from the chair. I quickly shot him in the leg and then turned back to Katie and said, "'Last chance!' She dropped the gun and kicked it away. Hodge was on the ground grabbing his leg and trying to stop the bleeding. "'Thought you were going to kill him,' she said. "'I could still cut a hell of a promo,' I said. Chapter 9 The police actually did show up a few hours later, thanks to Billy calling them as I'd asked him to. We were all taken into custody, and Katie turned on Hodge in order to get a lighter sentence. She was put into witness protection and vanished into the wind. It took me a while to get past what she'd done, and to this day I have no idea when she turned on me or why. On my best days, I think she went to Hodge for help because she wanted the business to succeed and just never put together what she'd done until Hodge called his marker due. On my worst days? On my worst days, I don't want to talk about it. My agency was dissolved. I was able to get away clean because of the information I'd provided to the prosecutors, but it was a messy year getting everything straightened out. I still think they'd be happy to toss me in jail with Hodge and be done with it. Thankfully for me, Hodge was sloppy with more than his cuff link, and once the feds knew what they were looking for, they were able to find it. I know that within a month of Hodge going down, someone had picked up right where he left off. Maybe they didn't have ties to the wrestling business, but the laws of supply and demand dictate that someone would find a way to get the product to their customers. When I was released a month after everything at the cabin happened, I went to see Mikey's widow. Sorry. Nancy. I went to see Nancy. She was still staying at her sister's place. It was starting to look like she was going to live there when I visited. I called first and when I got there she answered the door herself. This time we sat in lawn chairs in the backyard because it was a rare warm October day. It's so nice we shouldn't waste it inside, she said. I filled her in on where things were as much as I could, and what she could expect from the courts going forward. When I was done, she reached into her purse and pulled out an envelope. "'I can't accept that, Nancy,' I said. "'Hush,' she said. "'Don't be so damn Minnesotan. You went to jail for this case, and you should be compensated.' "'I can't, Nancy,' I said again. "'My business is gone. The government snatched it up since I was involved in drug dealing, and it was all I could do to keep what I had in my office.' Any debts owed are cancelled. I can't take the money because your contract was with a company that doesn't exist anymore. Use the money to take care of yourself. She put the envelope back in her purse and put the purse on the ground, looking into the distance. I'm sorry, she said. For what? She shook her head and said, If you hadn't started digging into Mikey's death, you'd still have your business. You'd still have Katie. No, I said, it's better this way. Truth is always better than a lie. Besides, digging into this made it so people remember Mikey as a hero and not a junkie. He refused to be used. He refused to give up. He refused to do the job. She nodded, and we sat there a while, enjoying the warmth that would soon turn to winter. Mikey refused to do the job, and it made him a babyface. As for me, I still had to do the job, and I hoped that in the end people would remember that about me. In the end, I was the one who had to do the job. The end. And there we go, part 10 of Do the Job. The next novel coming up is the second novel set in the world of five years later, which is five years after society has collapsed, after a zombie apocalypse. It will pick up where the first novel left off. If you want to listen to that first novel, it is available. Just go to the uh, novels.solitairerose.com, and you're going to look for After the Fall. It is also 10 parts and it starts in, the first novel was 10 parts. I don't know how long the second novel is going to be. It is a bit of a longer novel, so. As with all the podcasts here on the Solitaire Rose Radio Network, this podcast has ads and here they are. That's right, here at the Solitaire Rose Radio Network we have ads, and our first sponsor is me! That's right, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rap Astard. I have my first book out with Dangerous Dan Moore. It's the first hundred strips of our online web strip, Worldwide News, the story of the lowest rated cable news network. And you can get yourself a copy with commentary, with all sorts of extras, with uh, signatures and everything. Just email Dan over at LordShadowFlame at gmail.com. Our Top sponsor who's been with us since day one is DreamHost. Dreamhost.com, you need yourself a website, and Dreamhost.com is the number one web host in the whole known universe. Just head over to dreamhost.com, put in the code CRAZY, K-R-A-Y-Z. Get $20 off your first year. How can you beat that? Our other sponsor is Graze, G-R-A-Z-E.com. Healthy snacks for a healthy lifestyle. Just head over to Gray's. put in the code C-O-R-Y-S-3-R-5-P. Your first and fifth box are free. You can get them weekly. You can get a bi-weekly. You can get a monthly. You just order a whole bunch of them. It's great stuff to keep you away from the vending machine at work. Now, if you would like to leave a comment... For any of the podcasts that we do, we'd love those. Go ahead and email us at solitairerosenetwork at gmail.com, or you can call 952-856-0519. Operators are standing by. Okay, it's just a place that will record your calls, but we'll play them on the air. We'll answer your questions. We love getting feedback. Tell us what you think. Ask a question. Suggest a topic. Be a guest. Send us your stuff. Solitaire Rose Network at gmail.com. If you would like to advertise on any of the Solitaire Rose radio shows, you can just email us at Solitaire Rose Network at gmail.com. Subject advertising. Thanks. We've also got other podcasts here in the Solitaire Rose Radio Network. We've got what I call the mothership, and that is Crazy Comics and Stories at crazycomics.solitairerose.com. Myself and uh, Joe Crazy Writer talk about comics every Monday. Um, We've got a whole bunch of stuff that's been coming up lately. We did our uh, five favorite uh, comic book-related TV shows. Next week is our five favorite uh, comic book-related movies. Uh, After that, we will be discussing Free Comic Book Day and on and on and on from there. So, uh, 352 episodes of That Bad Boy. There is also, every other week... If there's a Friday and you want something to listen to and it's not the week that Novelcast comes out, head on over to BadAdvice.SolitaireRose.com, and you'll hear me, Wolfie be Bad, and our host, Dangerous Dan Moore, give people bad advice. You send in questions and we give you bad advice. There's also Scrabbling Across the West, which is done by Dave and Stephanie Kofell. They travel across the country and the world Dave plays music and then at night they get together, they play Scrabble and discuss how their day went and other various topics at Scrabbling.SolitaireRose.com. Also, every once in a while we've got uh, Solitaire Rose Radio where I interview interesting people. There is also a monthly podcast that I do called Solitaire Rose Series in Review some of them I do with Joe some of them I do with other people and some I do by myself that's also on crazycomics.solitairerose.com. we got all kinds of stuff coming up but in two weeks two weeks the new novel begins I want to thank you for listening I want to thank you for your patience as this novel finished up and I'll be back in two weeks with a new story